back. We're back. We're truly back. This is Drew, and the distraction is coming back live for the first time in over two years at Littlefield in Brooklyn, New York. Join us at Littlefield on Wednesday, October 4th for a live show that you won't want to miss. We'll have special guests, live fun bag questions from the audience, we'll remember some guys, have some gratuitous sandwich talk, and so much more, and we'll do it all with you. We're so excited to bring the flagship podcast back to the live stage. So get your tickets now at the link in this episode's description. One more time, that's Wednesday, October 4th at 7.30 p.m. at Littlefield in Brooklyn, New York. Get your tickets now at the link in the episode description. See you there. We're back! We're back! It's a distraction. I'm Drew. That's Roth. How you doing, Roth? I'm good, man. I'm not in Maine anymore. I'm, I'm back in New York City. It's, it's oh, great. I love it. You. And and spirits in New York could not be higher after Monday night uh, at MetLife Stadium. Huge night for Aaron Rodgers and his Achilles heel. And by the time this posts, your starting quarterback for the New York Jets may very well be Carson Wentz. So isn't that just, <laughs> just the Canyon of Heroes moment? For New York, yeah, it's Rob. pretty. It's pretty exciting. The energy in the city is palpable right now. I would say uh, not since I guess the the brief time where Mike White looked good for a while have I felt this kind of energy coming off Jets fans. Did you say? Palpable? I don't think that Carson. I don't think that Carson Wentz should play for the Jets. I don't think that North Jersey is ready for a man dressing like Carson Wentz going to like the Hula Hands in Lindhurst. I wouldn't sign Carson Wentz to play on my fucking pickleball team. That's no, he's, he sucks. He's going to show up wearing like a, like a camo, like a digi camo print fedora and like three golf shirts at the same time. They're going to stick with Zach Wilson. They're going to run the Tebow offense. And Zach Wilson will fuck like five different moms over the course of the season. And, <laughs> and they're going to go seven and 10 again. It'll be great. Speaking of moms that Zach Wilson likes to fuck, it's shit my dad says author. <laughs> and and Harley Quinn and Abbott Elementary executive producer, Justin Halpern. He's our longtime guest. How are you doing, Justin? That was maybe the worst segue that, you know I've what? ever heard in my entire life. I've, I've, I've been on some pods, guys, and that segue, Drew... Was, it, it, was it, nice. like, it looked like it, you had a Mitch McConnell moment. Your brain just stopped processing <laughs> how to do a segue. I you're had like, mom and then a dad. Those uh, parents segue. I had a stroke and shit my pants all in yeah. one moment. Yeah, and then my aides took me off the podcast and said he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. To go we're back. gonna <laughs> we're gonna leave it though. I think it's important that it be in there. Uh, I think we need because we have a we practice radical transparency with our listeners, which is why you know sometimes if I start crying while I'm talking about the Mets, we leave that in the audio because we want people to know. Yeah, they I should know. Yeah. Uh, let's talk business, Justin. Justin, you are in the Writers Guild of America, as am I. The strike is still ongoing, as is the SAG strike. Uh, mm-hmm. Where do things stand right now between the union and the studios? Can you tell us what you know? And what you think might happen? Um, well, sure, I could do my best. Uh, I am I'm on the board of the WGA uh, as Ooh. well. Uh, yeah, fancy, fancy, fancy. Yeah. Do you have like board meetings? Peer. Like, like do you get board meetings with like sandwiches and stuff like that? Yeah, that's Ooh. you get some. Yeah, you have some catered by whatever restaurant is closest to the oh, guild. Oh, oh, oh. Well, well, Does well. David Simon show up and call everyone cromulent fuck knuckles. <laughs> He's on WGA board East. I'm on. All West. right, good, fair, good. So I'm not there. He hasn't talked about dirty things he does to my mother. Uh, I don't get <laughs> that at uh, now. 
Um, plus, I'm on his good side because I'm I'm from a pro union guy. So, yep. um, so I mean, right now we're at day one thirty something of the strike, um, and uh, you know, we basically what's happened is after 111 days, they finally countered our initial offer, <laughs> and then three days later, we countered, and then they came back to the table to say, take the first offer we gave you. <laughs> and, uh, and so we're basically waiting for them to have a meaningful counter to our, our last counter. Cause guys, I don't know if you know this, but that's how negotiating works. Um, is that you have to counter an offer. So we're waiting for that to happen. How um, was, what was in the, their initial offer? Was it a good faith offer? I mean, I'm sure it's advantageous to them, but was it comically so? Were there any concessions made? There were a few. There was a few concessions made. It, it, it had. There was some movement in some places for sure, um, but not. Uh, it left many, many of our members behind, and more importantly, there were loopholes that they had built into most of their offers, most of their their counters, where they could basically undo everything that we quote unquote would have won in that version. And so that's what's tricky about negotiating with the. Uh, you know, AMPTP is that they build in trap doors into everything. And so that's why we have to be so stringent with what we've proposed, because if you don't, they just through what Mike sure calls fuckery, uh, through fuckery, they, um, they find their ways around it and we end up not winning what we want. So that's why we have to kind of hold start, hold strong. Um, could you give me an example of what sort of poison pills they might have put in there, or is that too specific? Um, sure. I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. Is like we need uh, writers who write for comedy variety shows, so like late night and sketch and things like that. Um, they they have no, they're not protected by guild minimums. So like you can pay them as little as you want, uh, which is problematic because that's what's been happening. And so they said, okay, sure, we'll give them minimums for any comedy variety show that is, uh, uh, has a budget of this number and higher. And the number they proposed would encompass basically one comedy variety show that exists, and the other 99 would, like, never hit that, hit that number. What was that so show? Was it, was it The Tonight Show, and was it Fallon's alcohol budget? What? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, Drew, you were locked and loaded for that one. Um, Thank you. Thank you very much. Much more prepared for that than the segue that I did. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm glad you decided to check into the podcast now, 18 minutes in. Um, <laughs> Piece of shit. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so there's a lot of little poison pills like that. It's, it's like, you know, budget breaks and things like that, where it's so in the weeds, right? And that's how they get used. It's like it's boring and... It's in the weeds, and it's 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 hard to explain to members why it's not working. But we've done done effective messaging to them of being like, "Look, this is what they're trying to do." And our members are really sharp; they are really on it. Um, and so I think they've been able to uh, see for themselves what's working and not working because we've been very transparent. So does that sort of proposal signal to you that they are willing to negotiate on that number, or that they are? unwilling to be serious or incapable of being serious about this. And they're just sort of trying to be cute. I don't think they're trying to be cute. I think that they're trying to win uh, mm. and save as much money for their um, coffers as possible. Um, I think that they're starting, there are a couple, pol there are a couple proposals they have not engaged 
in yet, which we need them to. Um, but uh, I think, you know, if these are large companies that have negotiated under one ideology for 40 years and they do not want to, it, it's less, I think at this point, it's less about the getting them to pay the money that they're going to need to pay and more about getting them to admit that they fucked up and they're, they've lost this negotiation, you know? And I think that's the harder thing, right? It's like, we're one contract. They have 45 contracts that they negotiate at different labor unions through Los Angeles entertainment industry over a course of three years, right? And so I'm sure they're thinking, well, if we realize, if we get our asses handed to us by the actors and writers and quote unquote asses handed to us is such a tiny amount of money, but that's, if we show that we've lost in any way to these two unions, well, then what happens to the other 43 unions that we are negotiating with? I'm sure that's what they're thinking, but in reality, what we're asking for is so small. It's such a small percentage of their profits and what the actors are asking for also so small. In some cases, what we're asking for are, are not even monetary gains. They're guardrails to protect against future losses. Right. Um, and I think that that's where they, their head is, is, you know, we, we want, like, they can't control the cost of lumber. They can't control the cost of, like, servers. But what they can control the cost of is creative labor, right? So that's when they're looking at where they can squeeze and where they can show growth and where they can show their shareholders that they're saving money. The only place that they have any control of is creative labor. And that's where they're trying to, to squeeze this. Is that true though? Because Netflix had their profits go up very recently, specifically because they cracked down on password sharing, which is like, it's sort of the new, a new aspect of this where you're, you've got these tech companies who don't really understand Hollywood becoming Hollywood companies. And they're finding cost savings that have nothing to do with the creative side at all with production at all it's simply in terms of of the delivery of the product but think about it in once you crack down on password sharing you can never do that again but think right. about it in terms of a 10-year uh you know how these companies think about it like 10 10 years of their business plan like where's the place they can continually save money right like creative labor is a is something that is constantly needed you can crack down on password sharing and then you've shot that bullet you don't you don't get another one Right. So like there are places in the fringes that they can they can find some growth and some savings. But uh, what what can be done in perpetuity is to sort of squash labor. What if I just air suits exclusively on my service (laughs) all the time and just force like teens to watch it? I mean, that's what they should all have been doing, honestly, to begin with. There should only be suits on the air. And then (laughs) everyone will just add a caveat to that. If we're going to negotiate this, I would like to also have White Collar be available to watch. Yeah. And what about Burn Notice? Hear me out on that. That's all the same show. It's all suits. It's different angles. It's the same actors (laughs) photograph. There's different camera setups and different bits of lighting. So Burn Notice, it's lit in a way that makes you think it's taking place in Florida. It's not. It's all shot in Vancouver. (laughs) Uh, we've really, uh, honestly, I know we've talked about a serious issue, but we've we've wasted enough time, Justin. You came on specifically for today's main event. You wanted to have, with our own David Roth, what you called a pathetic off between your yes. baseball team, the San Diego Padres, and Roth's team, the New York Mets. So please, gentlemen, I now invite you to do battle. Whose team sucks 
worse. It's an old-fashioned cry fight. That's yeah, right. it sure is. I'm so excited for this. Yeah, I'm so it. excited uh, to, to do this because basically my day consists of sending Ross and Mike Schur terrible baseball analytics about the Padres because those are the only two people who return my texts. It. <laughs> well, it's I've been fascinated by it just as somebody who you know, obviously, like, I've got my own problems to deal with, baseball-related and otherwise. The Padres are mysterious to me. They play on the other side of the country. Um, I don't watch them. Also, I don't understand how they're bad. So every now and then, like, I, when I'm responding to Justin, I'm like, how is this happening? Like, these are, like, the most top-level questions imaginable, being yeah. like, is it still the same Manny Machado, or is it a different guy now? <laughs> So but, I'm I'm going to start you off with just uh, the first the first stat I want to throw out here in our pathetic off. And I have a few of them. This is under the category of historical failures. I have a few of them under this category, right? Uh, the 2023 San Diego Padres in high leverage situations have the worst batting average OPS of any team in the history of Major League Baseball. I mean, hundred and back when it was like the the Austin Froghorns. Like, yeah, I was going to say, like, yeah. they're worse than the bridegrooms, is yes, what you're doing. Yes, in the absolute history of me, up until last week, in high-leverage situations, they were hitting less than 200, which was several percentage points behind the next worst, which was like the 1913 Chicago Cubs. Okay, so that's my first one. The worst team in high leverage clutch situations in the history of Major League Baseball is your 2023 San Diego Padres. Uh, isn't one. clutch hitting an illusion? Don't the metrics say that? Or is that is that since changed? Well, whether it's an illusion or not an illusion, there's still a batting average that yeah, goes with... You're, what you're describing here is more of a mirage, Drew. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, the okay. situations exist regardless of, you know, and it's like, it doesn't mean that Pat Tabler is better in those situations than somebody else necessarily or whatever we were told as kids. But yeah, they've had those at-bats and they're hitting, because as a team, they're hitting like 240-something, right? Like they're having yeah, as like a, a team, they're, as a team, they're hitting like 240, yeah, 242, so I think. A solid 50 points worse in batting average during situations where they need to get a hit in order to win a baseball. Yeah, This exactly. is not a cheap team either. This is not a team that is supposed to be hitting that poorly. This is what makes the Mets and the Padres different, is that they both went for it, and they both have basically the same record, and they're both going to be lucky not to lose 90 games. That's right. That's right. Which brings me to, to my next point, which is that this is the, one of the most confusing statistics that sums up the San Diego Padres. So... The San Diego Padres, if you look at the standings and the point different, the, the run differential, the plus minus run differential, right? Which, which says how many runs they've scored versus how many they've allowed over the course of a season. You would say losing teams have allowed probably more runs than they've scored over the year. That is sort of a, a common thing we can all sort of agree on. The Padres, who are 10 games under 500, have scored 64 more runs then they've given up. They have a plus 64 run differential. And if you look in the standings right now, every single team below them and above them until the wild card with a has a negative run differential, except for the Padres, which brings me to my favorite stat, which is no team in the history of Major League Baseball has ever been this far below 500 with a run differential of plus 50 or more. It's never happened. 
It's absolutely never happened in the history of Major League Baseball except for your 2023 San Diego Padres. So wait, they're this, the opposite Vikings? Is that what you're saying to me? They're the opposite Vikings. That's exactly yeah. right. Wow. Which is, I mean, which sounds good. But again, as we've said, 10 games under 500, it's not really happening for them. This is, again, to take people inside uh, our DMs. If you ever thought that DMing me was an interesting experience, I'm going to disabuse you of that. Because everything that... It's, uh, Justin has run some of these numbers by me in the past few months, and I've always been like, well, that's going to come out in the wash, right? Like, that has to, over the course of a long season, even out. And Justin has has said no, and he's right that it has not evened out that this is basically just continuing to go on this way. This is the part that I don't get and that I wanted to kind of ask you about, because I could tell you why the Mets are bad and how the Mets are bad. Uh, and it's mostly that, you know, their guys weren't good. How does a team that is scoring that many more runs than it allows 10 games under 500? Like, from one moment to the next, it's like, I could tell you from looking at their numbers or from having seen them that, like, they're not getting the best version of you, Darvish, that they're getting, like, 70% outcomes where, like, their best hitters are concerned. But, like, how the fuck does this happen? Like, I have a like, great stat for this. All right, go ahead. Ooh. I have a great stat for this. He's the Liz Warren of shitty stats. It's great. Yeah, I'm Katie Porter. I'm going to get I'm going to I'm going to get the whiteboard out. <laughs> I'm going to write. Um, one of my favorite stats of the year is that the Padres, this is this is uh, up until last week. The Padres had scored in, in games after the Padres scored 10 or more runs, which I think has happened 13 times. The next game, they've been shut out or scored one run seven times. Fantastic. So which means they'll have like they'll they'll win a game ten to one, and then the very next game they'll be shut out. It's happened f- almost fifty percent of the time, which is fucking insane, right? Yeah. If you can score ten runs that many times during a season, how are your most teams don't even get shut out that many times over an entire season? We do it after we've scored ten plus runs. What's amazing about this, too, is that everything that you're describing is like, if you've cheered for a bad baseball team in your life, you're, this is what it feels like, is that like they score a bunch of runs and you're like, well, I'd love to see them keep this momentum going. And then like Patrick Corbin baffles them for six innings in the next game. And yes. that's, and that's, and, but it feels that way. It isn't necessarily that way. Like that is just like what it feels like to watch a shitty baseball team over the course of like four or five months. What you're saying is that they are actually doing this. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, it is not an illusion that this is like everything, every vibe-based bit of unpleasantness that comes with cheering for an underachieving team. They are actually delivering demonstrable results to that effect. Yes. Uh, which brings me to, you know how when you're watching your team play and the other team scores first, you're like, well, fuck, we're probably going to lose this one. Yep. Right? That's like a vibe thing, right? And it's not true but it's like that's how it feels when you're watching kind of a shitty baseball team when the other team scores first against the san diego padres the this is in first inning the other team scores first up until about a week and a half ago they were seven and 44 (laughs) which means the other team scores and they just stop playing and in my sicko magic message boards i'm on the my sicko padres fan message boards there's one guy on the message board, which every single time the other team scores, he just goes, that's game. Because it is. But there's somebody like that on every message board. This goes back to what we were talking about. There's someone like that in every 
DM that you're in and the one that I'm in with like 50 mentally ill Mets fans, it's the same sort of deal. Like I could tell you that guy's name. It's just the fact that he's right is the part that's offensive about this, yes. not the fact that there's a guy that's popping off to that Right, because that's every NFL dad, too. Yeah. You know, like, well, this game's yeah. over. Oh, good to right, or like if you're like watching, a, like if you're in Slack with McQuaid while an Eagles game is happening, that's what you're getting, too, which is fine. Like, that's how fans are. Now, Ross, just, I'm the moderator here, so I must remind you that this is a competition. Now, Justin has presented a pretty ironclad case for his Padres being pathetic, but now you must counter with a case of your own and try to have your ankle detonate five minutes into doing it. All right. All right. Well, I don't have, I don't have the numbers. Like, uh, my, uh, my uh, opposing counsel has obviously <laughs> Bitch, we told you to get numbers right. I didn't do fucking numbers. Am I? Do I seem like a numbers guy? Am I new to the podcast? You wear glasses and wear a flannel shirt. Yeah, you seem like a numbers guy That's That's cool. You're describing a cool guy is no, what I'm no, hearing. No, I'm not. Right, but so what, what I would say is that in terms of the Mets being pathetic, obviously they have a worse record than the Padres. Uh, they lost last night um, to the Diamondbacks because they don't have anybody left in their bullpen that can throw an inning without allowing at least one run. I would say that the Mets feel less sad to me than the Padres, if only because they very obviously bailed out on the season, whereas the Padres, in the way that they do, kind of still bought at the deadline. Yes, that they were just you did buy. And so, I mean, they bought like Rich Hill, like it wasn't like they traded for Juan Soto again, but it was the sort of thing where they're, they're still kind of like, you know, when, um, when Homer is chasing the, uh, the pig as it floats down the river saying it's still good, it's still good. That's sort of like the AJ Preller mindset in this, whereas like with the Mets, and again, this is, this is going to be a really pathetic end to this sentence. At some point they just told Billy Epler to go ahead and trade the guys that they had signed for whatever he could get for them because they were willing to pay those players salaries for the first time in my life as a Mets fan. They actually got some players back, but everybody sort of understood that the rest of this season was, was going to suck, that it was going to be guys that they hired off of Craigslist or Fiverr pitching in the seventh inning. That's not what you want uh, as a fan. And then also that it was going to be, and this is again, the argument uh, sort of, the this is a pathetic thing but the best thing that's happened to the Mets this year is that uh DJ Stewart who they signed as a minor league free agent from the Orioles and who looks like an RBI baseball character he is just a completely ovoid man <laughs> has hit like 12 homers and 110 at bats so there's one thing to watch which is a guy who is like freely available like a couch on the curb with a sign on it that says no bed bugs. That is the best thing that they've done this year is call that, bring that couch into their home and then hang out on it. Everything else that they did, I mean, all the stuff that Justin is talking about in terms of the Padres, like you can now point to it as being like a historically shitty and pathetic season. If the Mets had continued to run Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander out there every, you know, fifth game, they would, I think they would be just as bad as they are now. It's just like, at that point, there would be an, an easier argument to make. As it is, they at least like acknowledged reality and uh, like you know cut some stuff loose, started going to the gym, and got a haircut. Yeah. So that brings me to just one other thing I want to say about the Padres. This better not be a fucking stat. You've shown me up enough. <laughs> uh, I, I do have I do have one more stat after the this one, but this isn't a stat. So going into 
the the trade deadline, the like basically the three days going to the trade deadline. It was kind of a make or break moment for the Padres, and they were playing the Texas Rangers, and we'd had we'd been shitty the entire year. By the way, Padres are the only team in the last thirteen years to not have a four game winning streak in their season. You have to go back to the two thousand nine Royals <laughs> to find that. Right, they could not win four games together the whole season. Okay, so going into this this uh, uh, the trade deadline, we have Blake Snell and Josh Hader. Both of their contracts are up at the end of the year. They're both gonna they they both were pitching just lights out. I mean, lights out. Hader's yeah, ERA was like a fringe Cy Young candidate too. He may win Cy Young. Cy yeah. yeah, he may win Cy Young. Um, so everyone is saying sell, sell, sell because we can get. Just we can just load our farm system up and we can use that to trade for other guys next year when we can actually make a run for it. And Preller says, let's see how we do against the Rangers, right? We have this one series leading up to the All-Star break or leading up to the trade deadline. And in the fucking most Padres fashion ever, they sweep the Rangers, their first sweep of the year. (laughs) And Preller decides not to sell. And so we don't sell, and right after that, we drop five of six. The trade deadline happens, and then we drop five of six. And it's the most perfect fucking piece of shit Padres thing you could possibly do is the only time you can sweep a fucking team is when you're going to the all-star, when you're going to the trade deadline, and you actually could get something, and you, you fucking con, they're con men. The entire fucking franchise is a bunch of fucking con men. The whole existence of the franchise is a fucking Ponzi scheme. It's not a real baseball franchise. It's a fucking Ponzi scheme. Roth, I so think you're losing. I just I'm losing. I'm losing. He's <laughs> angrier, and I get that. Because this is the part, like, I'm angry on Justin's behalf. Like, the, I'm used to this with the Mets. Like, and in terms of them, it's like a, a civic problem that we have here. It's like, when you are waiting for a bus, and then you get, like, the little announcement that it is, like, 18 stops away. I don't like that. Personally, that sucks ass to me. I don't like being later for things than I'm already going to be. And I don't like having to wait to get onto a really crowded bus. But I've been doing it for 22 years. So it's the sort of <laughs> thing where it's it's normal to me. I'm like, well, it would be weird if it was three stops away. Like, that would signal that something is wrong. And so to see the Mets, like, do this Metsy thing, like, I've seen them take apart a team they thought was going to compete before. They did a better job of it this time around than they did in 2016. And so I'm like, all right, well, that's fine. Like, this is better than the time that they traded the core of a team that went to the World Series and wound up with one fringe major leaguer as the return in that deal. But that's the the sort of the challenge with any of this is that the Padres are, them going for it is, that is an A.J. Preller thing. This is a new development. And I think that there's still this, uh, and I could hear it in, in Justin's voice and the case that he's making, that like, no one really knows how to feel bad about a team that has like tried to do this stuff and failed at it. Like, whereas I think you knew how to feel bad about a team where it was like the whole thing was built around Eric Owens getting on base. You're like, all right, well, this is going <laughs> to suck. I don't like this, but I'm going to deal with it. Whereas in this case, it's and I don't know how to how to watch it either. This is like if you would just read down that roster, you're like, this is a team that is going to either win the National League West or be the you know, first of the wild card seeds. And they suck. They really do suck. 
And like that was for me, I came to that realization with the Mets and then but it was like I've come to that realization with the Mets 18 out of the last 22 years. So I'm just sort of like, <laughs> ah, whatever. <laughs> uh, we have to take a break, although I, I hate to interrupt this. but We got to take a break and we'll come right back to uh, conclude this uh, this little tete-a-tete. But before we take a break, I just want to note that this episode uh, is brought to you by the Rudy Giuliani Legal Defense Fund, sponsored by 9-11. Remember 9-11? <laughs> Remember when Rudy was mayor that day? Well, now Rudy needs you to return the favor. Donate to his legal fund today, and you'll get a free piece of counterfeit recovered scrap metal from Tower One. We'll be right back with Justin Halpern. <laughs> Hey, it's Drew. Did you know that Ravensburger produces more than just the classic jigsaw puzzles and board games that we know so well? Introducing CreArt by Ravensburger, the ultimate painting-by-number experience. You'll find everything you need to start your artistic journey today with Ravensburger's carefully curated painting-by-number kits. Whether you're a seasoned artist seeking a new challenge or a beginner eager to explore the world of painting, Ravensburger's kits cater to all skill levels and ages embrace the therapeutic benefits of painting-by-number as you melt away the stresses of daily life and find solace in the act of creation without facing the pressure of a blank canvas. Easily explore Ravensburger's wide selection of enchanting designs on Amazon, ranging from majestic landscapes to adorable animals and everything in between. Let your imagination run wild and embrace the joy of painting with CreArt by Ravensburger. Shop CreArt on Amazon today! And we're back with Justin Halpern to continue the pathetic off of Mets versus Padres with David Roth. Uh, Roth, I am not uh, trying to cork your bat here, but I did want to aid you with a stat uh, from the payrolls this year. 2023 total payrolls, according to SpotRack, uh, the Mets are number one mm-hmm. with a they payroll are. total of $344 million. The Padres stop, stop pocket watching. The Padres are third on that list with $253 million. The Mets clear anyone else's payroll because number two is the Yankees. They uh they beat the Yankees by hang on, just doing a little bit of math here. $65 million this year alone. So that is a stat for you, Roth, if you care to use it, because Halpern has more in his back pocket. Well, I mean, I don't. So, what am I tr- trying to argue with that? I mean, because they they spent a lot of money. They had a plan. It was not a good plan, and it didn't work. And then they started rowing backwards on it. The thing that they were trying to do, and this is something that I want to uh, get Justin's thoughts on this on um, on the record. I could tell you what the Mets were trying to do. Um, it's harder than they thought it was, and they didn't do a good job of it. But the idea was, you spend a bunch of money in the near term. That is a really high payroll. It's also for, you know, two or three years were most of those commitments. Like certainly the, you know, if you go to 2025, they don't have as many guys under contract. They're not paying, especially now that they're not with the team anymore. They're not paying Verlander or Max Scherzer style, you know, $40 million salaries there. The idea was that by then the farm system would be producing enough young talent that you'd be able to sort of balance it out and that you'd have your vets that you're paying market prices, but then you also have all of these guys that just because of the way baseball works are getting paid $700,000 instead of, you know, what they actually deserve, or they're just going into arbitration and you're still paying them less. 
the challenge with that is that they they did all of that without fixing the farm system. So they don't have those players and they didn't have anyone even near it until they did the sell-off. And that was basically what they were doing when they were agreeing to eat the salary for a Scherzer or a Verlander to get a better return from the contending teams that they were trading them to. They were like buying, uh, you know, like Ryan Clifford or Luis Angel uh, Acuna. That this is like, that is a plan. Um, it's not an inspiring one, and it did not protect me from having to uh, invest in DJ Stewart futures for the entire rest of this year. I'm stuck with that. But I think that you could see sort of what they were trying to do, and you can also sort of still see it. that like Even though the uh, part that they spent a lot of money on that was supposed to be fun every night has absolutely sucked ass, <laughs> crashed, and burned, the, the rest of it is still there, and they're further along now, that they actually have prospects that are nearish to the majors, that you could say in a year or two, those guys are going to start to arrive instead of just assuming that they would somehow materialize, which is what they were doing before. What are the Padres doing? Like, because they are locked into their core of players, like, at a very, like, sort of, not even just, like, you know, you're paying Manny Machado and Xander Bogarts for a long time. They're paying, like, eight guys for 10 years. Yeah, that's right. So we what, signed... what would you say they're doing over there? So this is how Preller built the team, is he thought, and this is what everybody thought going into the season, he, he thought, and it's not the worst plan, but he thought, look, what you need to win in the you need enough hitting so that you can get somewhere into the wild card or potentially win the NL West. And you need three starting pitchers for the playoffs. So he signed Darvish. We had Snell already. And he signed Musgrove to a long contract. All three of them, Darvish has had an off year. But we also signed Michael Waka, who's been fantastic for the Padres. Part of the starting pitching has been great. And he just assumed every fourth and fifth day we'll win one of those two games because we'll score nine runs because our hitting is so outstanding then that that's what will happen. But instead what has happened is he's put everything on the, he's put everything on three on really four power hitters who, when you take a power hitter and you put them in Petco, I don't know if any of you have ever been to Petco. It's right on the bay. I've and walked outside night, of it. Does that count? No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, a famous rumor is that when they built Petco, all the ball flight tests they did were during the day. When they decide, when they were like, where are we going to put our stadium? They did some ball flight tests where it is, and it was all done during the day. And what they didn't take into consideration was at night, when the marine layer settles in, it's like hitting a baseball through porridge. Like, you, you can't... You so all of the these balls die at the fucking warning track. Like the Padres, oh, have, I hate warning track balls. Yeah, oh. the Padres have more balls that die at the warning track than basically any other team in the major leagues. And so what ended up happening was he had these power hitters who, you know, what the three true outcomes are. Have you heard of this? No. True. So the three true outcomes in baseball, it's like a really uh, deep in the weeds baseball nerd shit. Um, there's a fantastic. Uh, blog about the Padres called Letters to AJ, but the three he writes about this. The three true outcomes are the things that don't don't take luck into account at all, which is a home run, like a, a, a hit, a walk, or a strikeout. Right? There's no luck involved in those. It's like 
Yeah, or home run or walk and strikeout. There's no left right. involved in that. These are the things that have no contingencies. No contingencies. Ball goes over the fence, you walk to first base or you strike out, go back. Yes. Back out. Okay, the, but if the, Joe West is your umpire, there is some luck involved. In that's this. true. <laughs> yeah, Angel Hernandez is the fourth right. pillar. Of Angel the, Hernandez <laughs> is the, the fourth and truest outcome imaginable. <laughs> yes. The chaos Angel agent. Angel ejecting you uh, after you argue a ball strike call. So the Padres are so highly leveraged in true these three true outcome type players that any time but which is great it's a great way to score runs for the first seven eight innings of the game but when you're in a situation where you have guys on second and third and nobody out then you just need a hit a hit is just as valuable a, a, a bloop single is just as valuable as anything else you're going to hit if it's late in the game you just need one run right and that's where the team completely falls apart that's where our numbers show that we cannot score any runs at any point late in the game when we have guys, there's so many, I think I read the stat that um, Jake Cronenworth and Trent Grisham have 69 nice played appearances with runners nice. uh, on second or third with nobody out. And I believe they have like 37 strikeouts. So it's like, mm. I can't even, <laughs> that's not even hitting the ball in the play and nobody moves moves bases it's that they don't even put the ball in fucking play. No, like there's not the possibility of something good happening more right. than half the time yes, that, that they're yeah that see this is important. also another area where i would say that the mets and the padres have a commonality in that there's those secret small time things that sneak into this because both the teams spent a lot of money the mets where they were cheap have been the ways that they've suffered and died this year that the idea basically was with the bullpen that they would prioritize um have players who have options minor league options so that they would have more roster flexibility they did that they got a bunch of guys that they could send up and down um without having to expose them to waivers all of those guys were bad um so that was a problem for them because when those players pitched the team did worse and they had you know they brought in 10 of them they pretty much all stunk and that's but that was where they thought they were going to save. And also, uh, they had the idea, and this is something that the Padres did, something sort of strikingly similar. No other baseball team did this, where they were basically, they punted the DH position. The Mets were like, well, we have Dan Vogelback and also Darren Ruff. They look almost exactly like each other. They do kind of the same things, but one of them hits left-handed and one of them hits right-handed. Together, if you mush them together, you're going to wind up with one uh, acceptable designating hitter, designated hitter performance. That didn't happen either. That sucked. Ruff didn't make it out of spring training. Vogelback has been terrible as much as I love him. The Padres did it with funnier guys. It was Matt Carpenter and Nelson Cruz, but it's the same idea. I think that you are going to spend all of this money on the top of your roster. And then this is like, Elon Musk shit where you're just sort of like and then when you get to the end of it you just put electrical tape over a seam that is yes. closed and you're like and that is your cyber truck and this is so both teams cyber trucked their shit pretty bad this year it is funny that like the DH thing is the one area where it feels like they're the only two teams that made that mistake in that way we had we gave Matt Carpenter who's batting who who up until about a week ago was batting 167 for the year for the year. And we gave him a two year, $12 million contract. Um, and Cruz, we DFA'd. And we also signed, don't forget, Rudned Odor. Oh, yeah. Oh, also, the puncher. We love yeah, him. To also be on the team, who we then also DFA'd. 
It was, it was so crazy. Like he, this is classic. So I, 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 I read this thing that said that Friedman on the Dodgers, the GM of the Dodgers at, during the trade deadline and the off season, all he's looking for are players who are having really bad years who are having just like way like outliers for their careers, like terrible years. And those are the players he goes for because he's like, even if they're not great, the the data says that they're going to regress to the mean, right? And be okay, which is what happens. Every fucking player that yeah. comes to the Dodgers was like, I was like Brian Brazier who had a seven and a half ERA on the Red Sox. He comes to the Dodgers and he has a 0.84 ERA. Because, because it's like evening back out to the normal 4.10 ERA that he should have over the course Justin, of Justin, it sounds like this irritates you a bit when this happens. Yeah, I fucking hate the Dodgers. And, and, <laughs> and, but for the Padres, Preller is like that person who like, you, you see somebody do something good once and you're like, well, that must do that all the time. This yep. must be actually the best player I've ever seen. And then he trades for that person when they're at the top of their game where it's obviously going to regress to the mean. And then they come to the Padres and they fucking suck shit. We traded for G-Man Choi, who I don't even know if he's still on the team. Like we, we traded for like a month and a half ago. Was it basically because he had a good week? He, he, had a good, he had a good week against the Padres. <laughs> this is amazing. So this is where it gets to like, I don't know that we can necessarily say that uh, what the Mets do is worse. So the Mets are also, they're aping the Dodgers, but they don't know how to do it. Like they're doing, this is the thing that I keep coming back to is uh, the Simpsons episode where uh, they're at Itchy and Scratchy Land and a robot takes the top off its head, reveals the gleaming circuitry within, and Marge says to Homer, see all that stuff in there, that's why your robot didn't work. The Mets have been building robots with nothing in them, with no <laughs> circuits. They've just been filling it with Skittles for years. And that is, it's not working. It couldn't work. But they had, this was the idea that Cohen had. He was like, we'll do what the Dodgers do. We'll, uh, we'll shop on the, you know, the margins. And we'll make guys better. We'll develop our young talent. We'll pay the top tier uh, guys at their market rate. All they succeeded in doing was paying guys market prices. They didn't pick the right guys and they can't make anybody better. They do seem, in retrospect, to be like, they're now understanding that you must fill the robot with circuits instead of with ham <laughs> if you want it to do anything. I don't know that that is more pathetic than what the Padres are doing, which is basically acting like a fantasy baseball team, is what you're describing. Yeah, that's, that's what they are. They're a fantasy baseball team. And, and just two, two more things I want to say. Uh, two, two more things. Well, the Always first is, I, 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 maybe three. I definitely don't want to forget one of the most incredible stats from the year, which is that the Padres have played 12 extra inning games this year. 12 extra inning games. The Padres are 0-12 in those extra inning games. If you were to go to Las Vegas and place a bet on a 12-game parlay (laughs) where you would bet that the Padres lose 12 straight games, you would get 2,084-1 to odds on your ticket okay so that's that's the first thing the second thing is and this kind of brings me to something that that roth and i can both hate on together in just a moment which is that they also signed jake cronenworth to a seven-year 80 million dollar contract which you know he's a good player the first couple years definitely did not have to do that but they did and now jake cronenworth is making as much money as roger acuna jr (laughs) Which brings me to 
the fucking Braves, which are run by McKinsey. Yeah. And they, they have figured out a way to pay everyone way less than they're worth, and they're going to be good for 40 fucking years. Yeah, see, that's the other thing. You want to emulate some team. The Braves have their young core is all signed for long-term deals that are completely bad and unfair to those players. Yes. That, like, Acuna, Ozzy Albies has the worst contract in baseball. Like, the uh, Austin Riley is also getting paid less than he should be getting paid. This is what's sort of infuriating about it, too, because I don't know if there's some under the table deal or like how this could possibly work or keep happening. But the Cronenworth deal is a good example of like, again, a team that doesn't know how to build a robot um, getting in the garage and just hammering some shit together. Whereas like that is a guy that is the sort of deal that you would sign a contributor to like you would like, that's like an Ozzy Albies type contract. The problem is that Jake Cronenworth is not an Ozzy Albies type player. He's Jake Cronenworth. And so committing to him for seven years and being like, you're going to retire a Padre when he's like this year been a replacement level guy. And when there's like all kinds of indications that that's closer to what he is than like an actual star or a league average player. I guess it's like a reminder in some ways that um, there's different ways to be bad teams. Whereas like being a good team all sort of resolves to the same sort of thing. It's like being... It, helping your players get better it, it, it like a series of like competencies that are demonstrated every day in the minor leagues and in the major leagues. I think that this is, it, it's not an argument for being a fan of the Mets or the Padres, but they're the only teams that are uh, sucking ass in these ways. They're the only one they've like <laughs> come up with their own ways of fucking themselves up. And they're like cobbled together from bits of that. They've observed from other teams without ever comprehending what it was that they were observing and that is, uh, you know, I, it's outsider art. It's not like fun baseball. <laughs> like this is basically how, like, I don't know, like a raccoon decorates its house. But it is like, it's what it is. It's at least like different. I think that the thing that bums me out the most is that they actually, they're, uh, Peter Seidler, like their owner, like he want, he tried. He spent the money yeah. to be good. Like, and and. And all the other owners who have no interest in being good at all, the Rockies owner, you know, all these other, all these owners in the National League and the American League who don't care, who are actually like, it doesn't matter to me if they're good or bad, who cares? Whatever happens, happens, are being rewarded for the Padres sucking because then they could point to the Padres and be like, look, they spent all this money and they tried to win. Trying to win is overrated. That's the most infuriating thing. I mean, obviously, we love Bob Nightingale, the USA Today. We love Bob. You know, he's terrific. And he uh, his he has like a recurring thing where when the Mets or the Padres eat shit, which, you know, it's happened a lot this year, he'll like talk about how bad they are and then note their payroll, which it yes. feels like, as with a lot of Bob Nightingale stuff, it's basically like an earpiece with Jerry Reinsdorf talking to him and then he's just taking transcription and posting it online. But I think that's exactly, like, other owners are mad that Steve Cohen and Peter Seidler spent money on their teams because it makes it clear that, you know, you could do that if you so desired. So this is where it winds up being, like, doubly depressing that that they're bad. Is that, like, this should have been a season where we got to stunt on the worst people in American sports, which are basically, like checked out Major League Baseball owners like fucking Bob Nutting of the Pirates. I should be 
like goofing on Bob Nutting every day. And like the Pirates are way closer to the Mets in the standings uh, than the Mets are to the Braves. I, I feel bad now. I brought up payrolls uh, in the beginning of this segment because no, you're just, right you're to not, do it. I was just saying you're not were, wrong, dude. Like you can't leave that part of it out. Yeah. Like if it was just if this was I'll, like I, I'm not a thinking Royals like, fan and an A's fan being like, oh, I also got rabies at a game. Like that's bad, but it is also like it's to be expected. Uh, before I declare uh, Halpern the victor, I do want yeah. uh, to casually uh, add a third uh, contender here, which is the LA Angels, because. It's the LA Angels. I mean, you you know the deal. I mean, Atani's out for the year. He's not going to come back. Mike Trout also is probably leaving that shithole too. Like he told well, ESPN, if, I, they, if they can trade him, yeah. If, yeah, if they can trade him. But like that team doesn't strike. He like he, Trout said to ESPN, I haven't thought about it yet. There could be some conversations in the winter for sure, just to see the direction of everything and what the plan is. Does this team strike? either of you as having a plan no okay. no my favorite they, thing about this this team is that they did this this was the classic like boy they're they're the way that they handled otani it was classic like boyfriend who's been fucking up for a really long time like comes home and is like i got a haircut and my car fixed <laughs> That's what, like lucas giolito and fucking signing Brandon Drury. Grichick. Yeah. Yeah. Is. Like Randall Grichick. Like, that's what that was. It's like, no, no, no. D don't leave me. Don't leave me. Like, Look at this edible the arrangement of guys. Yeah. I got yeah. you. It really yeah. is a fucking edible arrangement. It is like a skewer with Ronaldo Lopez on the end of it. And you're like, that is not fresh. Do not eat that. Mm. And poor Otani is out there, like, tearing every limb from his body to do something that no one has ever seen. And it's also so bad for baseball that he's on the Angels. Like, he is the face of baseball. He should. He is a once-in-a-hundred-years player. I'm not saying anything that anybody else hasn't already said, but the fact that he is on the Angels, it makes no sense. I remember one time where I grew up in San Diego. I grew up in this, like, kind of middle-class Navy community, and there was, like, a bunch of apartment buildings right next to me. And there was this apartment, this, this apartment buildings, and this guy who lived in one of the apartment buildings, he had a Lamborghini that he parked on the street. Like, he didn't have even a spot in, in his apartment complex. Oh, oh that's where I parked my Lambo. Hey, hey. Yeah. And I was like, this guy lives in, like, a, a like $900 a month apartment, and he's saved everything for this Lamborghini. And it's like, maybe this Lamborghini should go to a better home. Yep. <laughs> Because there's like mice living in the undercarriage of the Lamborghini. Because yeah, you there's like put a guy a who like you know pees on the corner of the street. Like the Lamborghini, that's like yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's where it should live. You know, maybe get a garage for it. Yeah, the Angels are definitely one of those teams where I mean, there's teams that are bad, and you can like sort of if you're uh, cheering for a baseball team that makes you sad, you can game out a way they might get better. The Angels are like. It's like if your Roku isn't working, you unplug it and you wait 30 seconds and then you plug it back in to see if it's going to like work <laughs> after that. That is the solution to the Angels. They need to take like two or three years off. Anthony Rendon needs to go to law school or something like that. And then they need to like completely <laughs> reimagine their whole shit. Uh, it's time for the guy of the week. Every week we remember an athlete of yours, not a Hall of Famer necessarily, but just a guy who makes you think, hey. I remember that guy. You know, I got two guys for us to remember. That's very generous. Uh, I got an easy one, Halpern, and then I got a very specific Chargers one for you. I know you're a Laps Chargers fan, but this is back in the San Diego era. So do you want to mm. go with the easy guy to remember first or the harder guy? Oh, let's go easy first. All right, the See, easy guy is Jeff George. Remember that guy? 
cannon of an arm. Yep. That's, what a, you know what? Uh, it was a. It was a. Um, it was not what you want makeup wise. Like it was not the uh, sort of the leadership style that you might want. But the arm was unassailable. Also, as I recall, he had a perm. Uh, also, a, a, just a a really re- reliable immaculate grid. Uh, he was go-to. yeah, he was for immaculate grid. Very much the like. What, what if like Uncle Rico was a real person? Yeah, like, he's, I, <laughs> I think he's like the inspiration for that. Also, uh, Jeff George, as I recall, like the first of this should have been a, a red flag. That was Jason Whitlock's first really bad opinion that like everybody sort of became aware of. Yeah, because he, he went was to like, fucking high school with Jeff George. So yeah, he was, he was like, like a Jeff George dead ender. Like yeah. he was like in the way that like Spike Lee is about like Colin Kaepernick. That was the way for for the reason that you just said. That's how Whitlock was. But about Colin Jeff Kaepernick George. was good. He was good. And also like you're right to advocate for him. Whereas like Jason Whitlock is like, I've showered with this man dozens <laughs> of times. And I know that he's an extraordinary person that could help your football team. The, uh, the higher degree guy, the higher degree of difficulty guy justin is brian still do you remember that guy he's a wide receiver wasn't he he was a wide receiver he was bobby bethard was gm of the Chargers at the time mm-hmm. he came from washington because he had won super bowls in washington he did not win a super bowl in san diego he yeah. won nfl draft he traded the first rounder there next year for a second rounder specifically so that he could draft still and everyone during the draft was like that's really fucking stupid and guess what it was. Brian Still was a no fucking awful I have no recollection player. of this guy. Wait, How long I, did he play? Brian Still, he went to like a small college, right? Like he was like Michael Ricks, like that type of Chargers uh, yeah, draft Michael Ricks was the other. Uh, I think he went to Vodtech, but we can do the thing where I look it up. People and love that. He's from Newport News. He went to Virginia Tech. Boosh! I got it nice. right. A gold star for Drew. So uh, let's open up the fun bag. These are real questions from defector readers and distraction listeners. We only have time for uh, one question. Three. Oh, wow. Oh, well, then no, let's I don't put the know. baby and say two. Uh, Justin, this is from Brian. Brian says, my wife and I are having our first child in a few months. We're trying to figure out one important thing. If we want our kid to be an Olympian, what sport should we get them started on to maximize their chances of making the Olympics while minimizing their chances of being fucked for life? I'm going to say pickleball because I think by the time that kid is a, by the time that kid is a, a, you know, of Olympics age, pickleball will be an Olympic sport is my prediction. And I think that that uh, it's low impact. It's not very expensive. I think that's the way you go. You'd be competing against the elderly. Uh, yeah. I think. I don't understand exactly how pickleball works. I absolutely had luge as my answer because luge struck me as a sport that was uh, essentially conceived so that kids who had access to like the fanciest winter resorts in the world and lots of money could make the Olympics just by sledding down a hill. That that was my yeah. I think that's like sort of how it's worked in, I mean, for Americans anyway. Like, I think if you live in Austria, there's just like, the way that there might be a biking trail in your town. Like there's just like, <laughs> there's, a, there's a luge thing. You can just go fu- down and luge with your homies. The, at the luge end of the park day. at Innsbruck. I think that's uh, how, I think that there are those instead of streets in Interlaken. I think it's yeah. just luge. <laughs> <laughs> the kids are outside. Like they've all got luges under their arms. And they're like, can like Jorgen come out and play? And like your mom has to be like, yeah. And then you send them out and then they go. Well, I'll wrap up with this one from, uh, Barry, this is for you, Roth. Barry writes in, why are you Drew and he's Roth? Is this some hierarchy bullshit? 
Drew is the most popular and Roth is the beta. And don't even try to pass off that Roth's first name is so common that one must refer to him as last name for efficiency. Drew and David, seriously. How is that how one person gets his own and one person gets his some family name? I think it's bullshit, Drew. Roth, do you take any offense to how I introduce you in the show? People have been calling me Roth my entire life. It's much more pleasing to say than David. Also, Drew and David sounds like uh, like <laughs> wedding planners. Like it's not it's not a good energy. It doesn't have the the pop. It's got Mike and Mike alliteration to it. I'm not the thing that and I've talked about this before. The thing that I like about it is that people that have called me Roth in my life are people that I have played on sports teams with or that I have like known like my close friends from like elementary school and stuff just called me Dave or whatever. But like coworkers and people that I was like on a team with have called me Roth for a really long time. The fact that there's now also this other third group of people, which are like attorneys that listen to the podcast that <laughs> will call me Roth upon meeting me for the first time is really gratifying to me. The idea of like, so it's it's like guys that I played Little League with, people that I see waiting on the Apple line at the green market, and then uh, people that I work with. I feel like the listener base of this podcast is only tri-state area attorneys. <laughs> no, there's there's some in the uh, larger cities in the uh, Midwest as well. Yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> we have some down in South Beach too. I think yeah, it's very diverse. It's the, uh, as Bill Simmons would say, it's a diversity of opinion. So that's very. <laughs> I actually I met a uh, listener in Los Angeles. Delightful guy, Deke. He bought me a beer. Uh, very pleasant, and he's like, you know, a cool guy with a cool job. And I was kind of like, are you like, why would you listen to this podcast? Like, you live. <laughs> Like, there's, like, beautiful people and, like, actual, like, cool entertainment industry things. Like, you don't need to listen to, like, me and Drew do a one-hour and 17-minute episode about, like, how much worse a guy he should get as a Viking. Roth, fan. our producer, Eric, is not going to appreciate you deriding the very podcast that That's we right. do. It is a very yeah. smart and informative podcast. And today we learned a bunch of shit about the San Diego Padres that I have already forgotten, but is definitely damning bad. And Justin yeah. Halpern, you were a fantastic guest. Now here I remind people that Harley Quinn is available to watch on Max right now. And Abbott Elementary is on ABC and on Hulu. And I should also note, since Justin is on the board of the WGA and eating very fancy Panera sandwiches during a meeting as we speak, <laughs> that to the studios, I'd like to say, pay your fucking writers. Justin, would you like to add anything to that? I think you did it nicely. I'm, I'm yeah. all good. Brilliant! Eric Silver is our producer, Brian Google is our editor. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. Ads and production services by Multitude. And you can subscribe to Defector.com right now. Wow. Just go to Defector and hit that subscribe button. You can email us at distraction at Defector.com or you can call us at 909-726-3720 and leave a message. That's 909-Panera. Mm -hmm. We'll see you guys next week. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>